Today's scripture reading is from the book of James, chapter 2, verses 1 to 17. My brothers and sisters, do you, with your acts of favoritism, really believe in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ? For if a person with gold rings and in fine clothes comes into your assembly, and if a poor person in dirty clothes also comes in, and if you take notice of the one wearing the fine clothes and say, have a seat here, please, while to the other one who is poor you say, stand here, or sit at my feet, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers and sisters. Has not God chosen the poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs to the kingdom? That that he promised to those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who oppress you? Is it not they who drag you into court? Is it not they who blaspheme the excellent name that was evoked over you? You do well if you fulfill the royal law according to Scripture. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For the one who says, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not commit murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but if you murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak, and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment, for judgment will be without mercy to anyone who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but do not have works? Can faith save you? If a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food, And one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm, and eat your fill, and yet you do not supply their bodily needs. What is the good of that? So faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Yesterday... Uh, a group of us from Riviera were at a, a meeting at another United Methodist Church. It is um, a church that I'm, that I'm familiar with. They um, have a food pantry there that they operate on Saturday mornings. And they, um, it's, it's, it's a really neat program. And oftentimes food pantries are just, you know, people come and they get a box of food. And they are given a box of food. And it may contain items that they or their family don't actually eat, but they end up with, you know, a whole stack of tuna cans when nobody in their family likes tuna. And so this, this food pantry I've always sort of loved because they have, um, 
shelves with food, and people can grocery shop in the pantry the way that others do. Uh, and so uh, it's just it's a neat ministry that they have there. But yesterday morning, when we arrived for our meeting at the church, uh, Cheryl Zabel arrived just a few minutes early because she was going to be playing the piano as she does. Now, Cheryl, would you stand up for me? Now, Cheryl. Now, Cheryl looks to me like somebody who has bathed today. As you know, Cheryl always looks fantastic. She is clean and showered, you know, her hair is usually done just so, and lovely makeup, and she, she always looks really put together. But she arrived yesterday wearing this hat and was met at the door of this church with somebody saying, the food pantry is closed today. <laughs> not once, not twice, but three times this person met her at the door to say the food pantry is closed today. We have a program going on at the church. To which she said, yes, I am here for the program at the church today. Now, sweet Cheryl. Now, I I say this, I'm not even naming the church. You can can sit down. (laughs) Um, I'm not even naming the church because it could happen at any church frankly. I don't think Cheryl looked like she was particularly in need of, of an extra handout yesterday, but there's a fly in front of my face. Uh, apparently that person saw her as somebody who was needing something of them, and they weren't going to offer it. And it seems that this is not a new problem in the church. The, the author of the book of James writes to that church because they also seem to be having a little issue with what James refers to as favoritism, which seems like a nice way of saying it. I mean, I think the kids had a nice... I hadn't thought I was thinking about favoritism and when I was growing up. I grew up with four, well, four daughters in the household. So we were always clear that mom and dad favored one of the other sisters that wasn't us. Uh, or that, you know, a teacher had a teacher's pet. It was their favorite student, and maybe they did, maybe they didn't. Or, as the kids pointed out, a referee who chooses one team over the other. And, and, and those are all forms of favoritism, but it seems that what James is getting at is a form of classism in the church, a form of favoring one economic group over another, and I'll give you a hint, it wasn't favoring the poor over the rich. No, it was favoring the wealthy over the poor in the church. And this apparently was an issue then as it has always been an issue in the church, not just the wealthy or the poor. Classism is profound in our culture as it is in all cultures and throughout time, but other issues that divide us. And and James is quick to point out um, that these folks that we we view just merely as charity and a bother are indeed the ones whom God has chosen, as 
as many theologians refer to God's preferential option for the poor, that God seems to have a special place in God's heart for the poor and the oppressed, and a special word of, of warning for the wealthy and the powerful. And so James warns the church to watch out for how you treat one another. And I am convicted by this passage nearly every, every week, every day, as I lead in this place, and we often have folks that stop by in need of, of services, not only a meal, but help with a utility bill or rent or bus pass or any number of things where folks come by the church looking for help. And, and I will tell you, I have been in my office and heard what's going on in, in, the, in the outside office, and my eyes have rolled a little bit inside, thinking, oh, gosh, now I've got to figure out how to help this person. I say this with absolute conviction of knowing that I, too, have turned my back on the poor. And James calls us on that every single time. James says to us that we are not to be merely hearers of the word, people who hear it, and particularly the parts that apply to us and make us feel good about ourselves, about God's love, but rather doers of the word that extend that love to other people. We talked about this, this last week as we continue with James. We're, we're hearing this, this message, and it comes up over and over and over again. Don't just hear the word. Do the word. Don't just receive love. Give love. James then draws us back in this passage today to what he calls the royal law. And I bet you all, of course, could guess what the royal law is, the Shema, the love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That is the, the royal law, according to James. And James says that when we show partiality to any group of people, Usually the people we show partiality to are the people who are, are most like us. That is a, a natural temptation, the people with whom we find the most affinity or, or kinship, whether it is because of race or class or education or gender or gender orientation, sexual orientation. We tend to look around and find the people that are like us and offer them preferential treatment or favoritism, as James calls it. But James says that when we follow the law of love, loving our neighbor as ourself, all of that gets erased. All of that gets erased. And James, of course, is just hearkening back to Jesus as you do unto the least of these, my brethren, you do unto me, or Paul, that in Christ there is no male or female, slave or free, Jew or Greek, that we're all one in the body of Christ. And yet, we, as they did, we also live in a time of incredible division and divisiveness, where we, we divide people into this category or that category or that status or this status, and we decide who's in and who's out, who, who has God's favor, who doesn't have God's favor. And James calls us back over and over again to the royal law. And then there is this wonderful passage here in uh, verse 13. 
for judgment will be without mercy to anyone who shows no mercy, because mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Too often the church has, has practiced the reverse, that judgment triumphs over mercy, but in fact that is, that is not the gospel. The gospel the gospel message is that mercy is always, always, always more important than judgment. Grace always triumphs over the law. And then he says, but then he, he reminds us, but it's not enough to just see somebody who is hungry or see somebody who is in need and say, oh, go, go and be well, be in peace, but rather that we have to respond to that need with, with something that, that matters. It's not enough to just simply say, my thoughts and prayers are with you, but rather we have to be willing to get our hands dirty to, to do what we can to help and to serve. And then in this great passage, so faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. Now, I'll, I'll, I'll clue you into this is a big theological, it has been set up as a big theological argument. Paul in Romans uh, says that we are saved by faith alone. Okay? That is that all we have to do is proclaim faith in Christ and therein we are saved. Whereas James says, well, yes, saved by faith, but faith without works is dead. It's meaningless. What does it matter if you say, oh, I love God, but don't love my neighbor? What does it matter if you say, oh, oh yes, I'll be praying for you, but I'm not willing to care for you? James calls the church on the carpet. It's a hard book. And we're going to be in James for the next couple of weeks. As I said last week, it is our, our, our epistle for, for this month. And so we're, we're grappling with this whole question of faith and works, of what it means to, to receive God's love, but then to actually go out and do it. And, and we're working on that as a congregation all the time through all of our, our various ministries with Toberman or education programs, learning about immigration, or whatever, whatever the issue is, we as a church want to be ones that aren't just hearing it and patting ourselves on the back for, you know, serving a homeless meal once a quarter, but we are, we are people who are, who are committed all the time to figuring out how we can care for the least of these, how we recognize within our congregation that each and every person, every person sitting in a pew anywhere near you, or up here in the choir life, so happy to have our choir back. Every person here is a child of God. No person here has earned their salvation more than anybody else. Rich or poor, black or white, gay or straight, Greek or Roman or Hebrew, doesn't matter. All are one in the body of Christ. It's a high ideal. Our faith is always always pushing us and challenging us and, and nudging us. And so I want to invite you this week to be thinking, to be noticing where you might have some partiality, where you might draw a line, 
We are living in a, in, a, in a culture, in a time where there are lines drawn everywhere, where we divide ourselves up in all sorts of categories. And then we can decide who we like and don't like, who we trust and don't let trust. But we are called to be one. And we are called to love one another even as Christ loved us. And so I want to invite you to be thinking, who is it that you struggle the most to love? Who is it that you have sort of drawn outside of your circle and you have decided, well, I'm going to love God and this person or this set of people, but these folks, I'm not sure I care so much about them. I'm I'm, going to let my judgment triumph mercy. Let's pray about that. Let's pray about where we have allowed judgment to get in the way of mercy in our own lives, in our society, in our country, in our world. How are we allowing judgment to triumph over mercy when the gospel of Jesus Christ calls us to mercy over judgment? Where are we expressing our faith, not just as hearers, but as doers? Where are we putting some feet on our faith? And where do we need to learn to move in the direction of love? It's tough stuff, this James business. But it's our calling. It's a calling to follow Christ, to love God, to love our neighbors. And so I'll be praying for you, and I ask you to pray for me as we try to show love without partiality, without judgment, but only with a heart of mercy and peace. Let us pray. Gracious God, we live in a world divided so much by our own judgments, by our own intolerance, by our own preference. But you, God, always call us to mercy, to openness, and to love. And so, God, we ask that you work within each of our hearts where we have closed ourselves off from our neighbor, where we have deemed others to be outside of your love and thus our responsibility. Help us, God, to see you in our neighbors, rich and poor, of all nationalities, of all beliefs. Help us, God, to follow you. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.